Hello and welcome to the first show of Football Insider's podcast, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Pears, and with me today, I have Football Insider editor Wayne Veazey and our transfer man in the know, the brilliant Scoop King, Pete O'Rourke. In today's show, we have some exclusive transfer news from Wayne and Pete, including big Manchester City, Newcastle United and Aston Villa updates, all the latest from Tottenham after a game-changing week, big Chelsea and Fulham news, as well as a Liverpool defender update. We have all the very latest on Wantaway stars Calvin Phillips, Aaron Ramsdale and Jaden Sancho and everything transfer related about your club including what's really happening with lead sensation Archie Gray and Liverpool before we jump into the episode I'd really appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button and if you do enjoy what you're here today please give us a like and give us some feedback on the show in the comments section or on social media this is going to enable us to produce the very best possible show going forwards let's get straight into the episode Wayne, let's start with some exclusive news from Football Insider involving Manchester City and Saudi League pro star Ruben Neves. Yes, um, the story on Football Insider today that Man City have a concrete interest in Ruben Neves going into the January transfer window. Um, They're very keen on him um, and they are looking for a central midfielder next year, um, both January and then in the summer if they don't get that player in January and obviously everyone knows that Calvin Phillips hasn't been playing, Pep Guardiola doesn't fancy him, doesn't play him and will do sort of anything to avoid picking him seemingly and he will leave Man City next year, it might not be in January, um, it might not be in the summer but it's very likely he will go in the winter window, Man City want to bring in a top tier replacement, Guardiola is a massive fan of Neves, always has been actually. Um, going back three or four years, I'm told he's a Guardiola type of player um, in terms of both his profile and character and ability to take on tactical instructions. And um, and Man City are very keen. And obviously, with the big sort of Newcastle saga, um, Newcastle could get, you know, might not be able to sign him, whereas Man City won't have that issue. And Pete, in terms of their squad currently, like sort of Wayne has mentioned, you know, he's been favoured by Pep for a few years. But considering how strong their midfield is already, how likely is he to get game time with the likes of, you know, actually someone in a similar position, people like Bernardo Silva or in a box to box role? Would he come in and fill that Gundogan role? Where does he where would he sit in the squad? Yeah, obviously, as Wayne's mentioned, I think uh, Pep Guardiola is a big fan of Ruben Neves. Uh, for me, he's probably better playing in a more withdrawn role maybe but he's going to find it hard to get in ahead of Rodri in uh, that defensive midfield role which he really performed well for Wolves he was a, a defensive midfielder in a double pivot with Joao Moutinho and those two had a great uh, combination together and then obviously he's made this big money move to the Saudi Pro League um, hasn't really worked out probably as, as well as he expected and he is interested in a move back to the Premier League but if you look at it this way if Manchester City come calling it's going to be hard for any player to turn down obviously Calvin Phillips made that big move from Leeds United. It didn't work out for him as uh, as he had hoped. Uh, and it does seem he will move on probably this uh, January transfer window as well. Ruben Neves, I'm sure he would back himself, uh, his quality, maybe to get into that uh, Man City squad. But it's a star-studded uh, lineup. It's hard to get into as, as well. And you've also got the fact that Kevin De Bruyne will be coming back from injury soon as well. So it just increases competition for places even more in that City side. But I think Ruben Neves... If City do allow Calvin Phillips to, to move on in January, I think Ruben Neves would be a good replacement and it would probably be somebody who could go in there, hit the ground running from his Premier League experience as well. And the really interesting thing is, you know, he's made this move in the 
in the summer to the Saudi League. And the original plan was never to go for very long. So, you know, for for Neves and his camp, it was just to make a sort of short move to get the money. Um, obviously, you know, wild riches beyond sort of, you know, most players' dreams. And then it's kind of, and then the plan was to actually go to Newcastle because um, the association between the Saudi clubs and Newcastle, same ownership effectively um, through the Saudi Investment Fund. Um, but that looks to have blown up in his face. Um, what with the Premier League has been voting on that next week. And, you know, if they get 14 votes, then these kind of associated party deals um, could end very quickly, which would open the door for another club like Man City. Um, so the player may still get his move, um, but Newcastle would lose out. And, you know, you both mentioned there in terms of outgoings that there's obviously talk about Calvin Phillips. Now, Pete, do you see Calvin Phillips moving in January and which clubs are interested if so? Yeah, I think uh, Manchester City won't uh, stand in his way if uh, a suitable offer does come in for Calvin Phillips in January. Juventus and Italy are in the market for a defensive midfielder. Um, Calvin Phillips is one name that they have discussed. He's pretty high up on their list and it's a move that Calvin Phillips hasn't ruled out either. I think his preference would be to stay in the Premier League if uh, somebody does make an offer to Manchester City as well. Newcastle, if they're going to miss out on Ruben Neves, Calvin Phillips wouldn't be a, a bad second choice, would he? So I think Newcastle are very much in the race for Calvin Phillips uh, in the January transfer window. We all know Newcastle's need for a midfielder following Sandro Tonoli's suspension as well. So it could be a ready-made replacement to, to go into Eddie Howe's uh, starting lineup next season as well. West Ham have been long-term admirers of Calvin Phillips. Liverpool also in that market for a defensive midfielder as well. They do like Calvin Phillips as well, but whether they would allow Calvin Phillips to go to a, a rival in Liverpool, Manchester City, that'll have to be uh, seen, I think. Uh, I'm not too sure they would be willing to do that with both teams maybe fighting it out for the Premier League title this year as well. But if Calvin Phillips, I'm sure, will not be short of options uh, come the January transfer window as well. The player himself, I think he, he realises now that it's not going to work out for him at Manchester City and he needs to be playing regular first-team football, uh, considering the Euros coming up in the summer with England. He wants to be match fit and ready for that tournament as well. I mean, the writing was on the wall, wasn't it, when he came back from the World Cup and Guardiola sort of questioned his his physical status, um, basically said he was out of shape and wasn't in a condition to play for Man City, which was pretty public humiliation and also quite embarrassing, wasn't it, for a top-level professional footballer. And he's, he had barely played beforehand and he's barely played since so you know I think the city managers dropped the sort of most public possible hints that he doesn't seem as part of his long-term plans and if you have Phillips you know peak of his career seemingly um at a really good age got loads of good Premier League experience and and you know a fine player for most Premier League clubs if not Man City then you have to move don't you um you have to get to get the right club this time but yeah definitely get to get moved to a club where you can play regularly and Wayne it, you know as as Pete mentioned it looks like it sounds like Newcastle West Ham and Liverpool are interested out of those three if you had three offers on the table where do you think Phillips should go out of, of those choices and why um I think Newcastle is Newcastle are in pole position and definitely the favourites they've got a massive injury list at the moment. I mean, more than 10 players are injured. You could see at Bournemouth on Saturday as Kim Trippier made very, very plain to 
um, those Newcastle fans that you know they're they're really struggling. Um, they're really struggling in in midfield. And you look at the team on Saturday night; it's pretty much a Steve Bruce team, wasn't it? Um, most of those players were were Ryan Bruce's managers, so they are really short at the moment. They need strength and re- reinforcements in central midfield. Phillips is available, and um, I think their pole position. I think a loan deal is probably the most likely, or maybe a loan to buy. Um, yeah, West Ham in the background. I think Pete's written a few stories about Thomas Suchek's um, future being up in the air. He's out of contract at the end of the season. Um, David Moyes, another admirer there. But will he be manager at the end of the season at West Ham? So that's that's definitely a strong possibility. I'm quite interested in Pete saying Liverpool. I mean, do you think Pete Phillips has got the mobility to play in Liverpool midfield? Because Liverpool do struggle a bit with the counter-attacks. And I think that's the issue that... Guardiola has with Phillips, isn't it? Is kind of his ability to stop those quick turnovers. I mean, could you see him fitting in at Liverpool? Yeah, I think obviously uh, Liverpool would have reservations maybe about his mobility, but I think going right now, you look at Liverpool, Alexis McAllister isn't the answer for that number six role. No. He needs to be playing further forward like he was at Brighton. That's where he was most effective. He's shown that for Brighton and also for Argentina as well. So I think Calvin Phillips as a designated defensive midfielder would be an improvement in that Liverpool midfield right now as well. If you get back to what he showed at Leeds when he was a mobile midfielder under Marcelo Bielsa and there's no no other manager who wants mobile players than Marcelo Bielsa uh, considering Mm. the transitions and the counter-pressing that they did as well. So if you can get a fit and fire in Calvin Phillips, I think uh, he could be a good signing for a lot of clubs. Uh, Liverpool do like him, but I just don't see Manchester City, although Pep Guardiola has said he's not afraid to let players join rivals, whether they would let Calvin Phillips go to Liverpool. And I'm sure Liverpool, as we all know, are scarring the market uh, for other alternatives for that defensive midfielder role as well. Looking at Andre from Fluminense, who is a younger uh, player as well with huge potential, maybe ticks the criteria boxes more for Liverpool than Calvin Phillips as well. But I'm sure whoever does get Calvin Phillips in January will get a hungry and determined player maybe to prove a point because he's uh, really become a forgotten man at Manchester City. Do you think Andre gets done in January, Pete? Um, a lot of reports earlier uh, in the last couple of months were suggesting that Liverpool were leading the race for him, but those have gone a bit quiet right now as well. Obviously, Fluminense are willing to sell Andre in this January transfer window for around £30 million, which isn't a massive amount right now as well. He's a Brazil international quality player, helped them win the Copa Libertadores as well does seem to be a lot of interest in him from elsewhere as well. So there's talk of Arsenal interested, Fulham also long-term admirers as well. And there's also been suggestions that Tottenham could be in the market for Andre as well. And they also are looking at the Calvin Phillips situation as well. They are looking at that CDM for January as well. But a lot will depend if Pierre-Emil Hoiberg possibly leaves as well. I don't think Spurs um, will leave themselves short as as a bit like Newcastle, struggling with injuries uh, and selection problems right now as well. So Ange Postacoglu, I'm sure, will be seeing what is out there in the market right now as well. And Calvin Phillips is somebody who's on their list as uh, he's on the list of a number of other clubs along with Andre. So, yeah, it could be a huge uh, midfield merry-go-round, I think, in the Premier League this uh, coming January transfer window. And as both of you had mentioned, Pete, if, if we talk about Newcastle United, you know, as, as Wayne kind of alluded to, they've, they've really struggled this season with injuries. Now, is Eddie Howe actually looking in the market at the January transfer window? And if so, which positions might he potentially be targeting? Well, yeah, um, I think Newcastle ideally weren't planning a, a busy January, but now these injury problems uh, have uh, 
forced them into a bit of a corner right now, competing in the Premier League and the Champions League. They're going to have to add to that score because it's looking pretty thin right now with all the issues. Centre-back was an area of the team that Eddie Howe was looking to strengthen whatever uh, the injury situation was. Um, he wants to bring in a right-sided centre-half uh, and that hasn't changed right now. Obviously, the injury to Sven Botman has been untimely and uh, has left him pretty short as well. But to be fair to Jamal Lascelles, he's come back into the team and I think for me, he's done really well uh, having not played much football over the last 12 months as well but I think bringing in that centre half is an area that Newcastle are looking to strengthen in as well and I still think obviously we know we've talked about the midfielder they need to bring one in now with the Tanoli suspension which has caught everybody uh, by surprise uh, connected with Newcastle United as well I think in ideal world Eddie Howe would like to bring in another attacking player as well obviously the injuries to Callum Wilson and Alex Isak have left them short up front as well and uh, bringing in a new striker, maybe a younger one who they can develop and maybe learn under. Callum Wilson and Alex Isak uh, is right up there in the priority list as well. But I think for this coming window, it's probably going to be central midfield and a, a centre-back for, for Newcastle. And Wayne, because of this, as you as you mentioned earlier actually as well, how are the FFP restrictions going to impact Newcastle, not only in this window, but potentially windows to come? Massively. Um it's kind of the one word answer. They've got to work within restrictions. Um, they they've been very sort of public about that that they can't just go and, and buy who they want. They've obviously spent a lot of money with that. It's not been wild spending. It's not been kind of Chelsea level spending, but that you know they've just given um, Bruno Gomez a massive new contract. Um, they've been sort of increasing the contract and salaries of quite a few players, and their revenue sort of stream hasn't. Well, it has increased because of the Champions League football this season, um, but that's their first season of Champions League football. And, you know, they're before that, they've been annual turnover of about 160, 170 million a year will increase for this current season. Um, but yeah, Newcastle have to operate within those boundaries. Um, can't lose more than 105 million over three years. So, you know, Newcastle have to be very mindful of that and that will affect what, who they can buy and how much they spend as well. Um, so don't expect Chelsea level spending, expect them to sell players as well. Um, maybe the fringe players in the squad. Um, but yeah, FFP will matter this January and also next summer. And if we move down, Wayne, from the northeast and go to the Midlands and talk about Aston Villa, sounds like an exclusive story in terms of some targets in January. Yeah, I mean, you, Aston Villa's main priority is an attacking player in January. They want a forward, they want a versatile forward, someone who can play down the middle, can play either sides. Um, and there's a story in Football Insider today that Tammy Abraham is a top target for them, um, who had a very, very successful spell on loan there in their championship season or championship promotion campaign, um, scored 25 goals, I think it was, and at the line brilliantly. Um, he's currently out injured. Um, he's at Roma, but he's tore his ACL in June, um, expected to be out until sort of March, springtime. But he is a top target for Aston Villa. Um, and, you know, he can, he sort of fits the profile of the type of forward they want. He is mobile, can hold the ball up and play with his back to goal, can play on the shoulder. Um, Calm in front of goal, has a good scoring record. So he fits the bill. Anarchy Williams is another one. Um, someone that you know Emery knows a lot better from his time in Spain. He's a bit older, he's 29. But Emery does want 
a striker who's ready to go, someone who can make can make an impact, and not someone who wants who, who would have to bed in. Um, they signed Duran last January from Chicago Fire, 15, 17 million. That hasn't worked out that well. Um, he's fallen out with Emery. He's not really playing much at the moment, um, and there's a huge sort of reliance on Ollie Watkins for the goals. So yeah, they do want a, a striker in January. That that's a priority for them. And Pete, in terms of styles, like like Wayne's mentioned, you know, you've got Abraham and Williams. They're very, very different players in terms of how they play. Under Emery currently, who do you think suits Emery's style of football at this moment in time? Uh, at this moment in time, I'd probably go for Inaki Williams, probably suiting more. He's more versatile than Tommy Abraham, could play wide on either side, could play down the middle as well. I think the way Ollie Watkins is playing right now, he's a guaranteed starter in that side as well. So I think for Tommy Abraham, if he was to arrive, he would find it maybe hard to get into that uh, team right now. The way Aston Villa are going so strong, especially at home, their home form is unbelievable. Um, it's making them real surprise contenders for top four and even a title challenge as well. But got to take your hat off to Unai Emery. He's uh, gone in there, done a wonderful job, free-flowing football, and uh, it's really benefited the likes of uh, Ollie Watkins now becoming a regular in the England squad as well, scoring goals for fun. And uh, you've definitely seen the improvement in Villa. But yeah, I think Inaki Williams from Athletic Bilbao would be a smart signing. He's at a, he's at a good age coming probably now to the peak of his career. But he's a versatile forward. He's shown for Spain as well that he, he knows where the back of the net is. Uh, so that's not an issue for them either as well. I think it will be hard to prize him away from Bilbao because he's there with his brother as well. So it would be a hard deal to do but obviously Unai Emery with his Spanish connections and Monchi the sporting director they will know all about him as well so I'm sure they're actively pursuing that line of interest in him and maybe other targets in Spain as well so I expect Villa maybe to do a couple of deals in the January transfer window whether that's a out and out striker uh, a number nine as well as probably a wide man as well but yeah Villa just going from strength to strength and uh, all Villa fans should be happy with the way things are progressing and uh, I think if they can make a couple of Shrewd signings in January, they can maintain this push. But I mean, just take up your, your points about um, Abraham or a player like him fitting into the side. I mean, the Villa only one Ollie Watkins serious injury away from um, yep. it all, you know, the optimism puncturing very quickly, aren't they? You know, he's I think he scored 11 goals this season. Um, he's obviously gone to a different level. He's just got a new contract. He's, he's playing the best football of his career. But if, he's, if he, he gets injured, Villa are struggling, I think, or certainly struggling to play in the style they're playing and also scoring those goals. I think their next top scorer is three goals this season. So that's, you know, they need strength and depth. They're playing the Europa League. They're playing two games a week. Um, you know, there's, you know, you look at Liverpool, how many forwards they've got, five forwards and various injuries and stuff. You do need, you do need more firepower. And I think Villa are very, very aware of that. And, you know, I'm, I would expect... Them to bring in a forward, I'd expect Duran to to leave probably on loan for the rest of the season, and and maybe for Villa to be one of the busier clubs as well. Because I think Pete's probably hearing similar things on the agent grapevine and through through various sort of channels that you know they are looking, they are exploring the market. Obviously, they brought Monchi in. Um, there's that very very tight Spanish connection now at the club, and Emery does a lot of his deals himself with his close team around him um so yeah I would, I would expect them to be very very busy in january and if we then move on to spurs 
and talk about the fact that, you know, talking of injury crisis with Newcastle and, and various other clubs, well, Tottenham have obviously really struggled now that James Madison and Mickey van der Ven are out. Wayne, who do you think that Ange Postacoglu will be looking at signing potentially in the January transfer window? Yeah, definitely a, a centre-back, Lewis. Um, that's that, that was a priority even before the van der Ven injury because, you know, Tottenham were very aware that outside of the Romero-Van der Ven, van der Ven partnership, the backups are not at the same level. You could obviously see that with Saturday's game where they sort of ran out of steam towards the end, even though, you know, Eric Dye came in, did actually play quite well for most of the match. Um, so centre-back, central midfielder, midfielder as well. Pete mentioned earlier, and Pete's written a few stories about Hoiberg's future been up in the air. Um, he could he could go in January, and but Tottenham would not let him go without getting in a replacement. So I think cent- central midfield and and centre back are the priorities for Tottenham. It's interesting because they sold Harry Kane for ninety million, um, haven't replaced him, and probably won't replace him in January either. Certainly with a kind of first team player because Son's playing that role um, down the middle, and Richarlison can also play that role. Um, presume that he stays. So, you know, Tottenham aren't prioritising that position now. It's it's other areas of the team, and yeah, they, I I would expect if certainly if they can find a club for Eric Dyer or he finds a club for himself um, rather than sits out and sees that his contract expiring in the summer, I'd expect a new centre back to come in. And Pete, do you have any potential names that you can give us as listeners? Is there anyone that we can hear about that Spurs might be eyeing up for January? Yeah, uh, for the centre-backs, as we mentioned, uh, a couple of long-term targets uh, for Tottenham still on their radar right now. Lloyd Kelly of Bournemouth, um, they tried uh, to sign him late on in the summer transfer window, had a a bid rejected by Bournemouth for uh, the left-sided centre-half, so he's still on their list as well. Obviously, he's an attractive target for Tottenham, um, young English player, and also his contract situation with uh, the player now coming up to the final six months of his contract at Bournemouth. uh, He could either leave on a free transfer next summer or maybe if Bournemouth decide to cash in on them in January, they might have to accept a cup price fee as well. So that would suit Spurs in that respect as well. A number of clubs are looking at Lloyd Kelly as well. So it's not like a straightforward one-horse race uh, for Tottenham in that pursuit as well. Also, Tyson at the Barrio at Fulham. Um, he was a, a target in the summer transfer window as well. Similar situation to Lloyd Kelly that he's out of contract uh, in the summer as well. So it doesn't look like he's going to sign a new deal at Fulham. So... This could be Fulham's last chance to maybe cash in the in on the centre back uh, in this upcoming January transfer window as well, and I'm sure he's uh, a player who would be interested in a move to Tottenham if they do firm up their interest in him as well. And also Trevor Shalaba, who came very close to leaving Chelsea in the summer transfer window uh, to Bayern Munich, uh, he's also on Tottenham's radar because he's obviously not getting a look in at Chelsea right now, and I think Chelsea are prepared to let him move on in January just to sort of boost their own transfer kitty and uh, balance the books as well. So probably they're the three names for, at centre-back that Tottenham are looking at right now. And Wayne, in terms of those lists, you've got Kelly Adaraboyo and Chalaba. I know two of three are out of contract in the summer. Who do you imagine in January would command the lowest fee? Which centre-back do you think Spurs are most likely to sign? Um, well, th- most likely to sign, I think, well, Chelsea won Chalaba. Out. He's, as Pete said, um, he's not part of their long-term plans, so that makes him available, whereas Lloyd Kelly isn't available and Bournemouth won't want to sell him, especially if they are in a relegation battle. Um, I mean, w- what's quite interesting about the winter window is how clubs are planning based around who could go down. It looks likely that the three who came up 
are going to go down. So that could therefore reduce spending. Um, but nonetheless, I would I'd imagine Bournemouth will fight really hard to keep hold of Lloyd Kelly. So that could make that deal difficult. Um, Adarobai, I, I think that's po- certainly possible. Um, although he's right-sided centre-back, I believe, rather than a left-sided centre-back. Um, Chalaba's also the same. I think I mean, Tottenham need need four top centre-backs, especially if they're looking for the Champions League for next season. Now we're looking at four centre-backs. That's what most of the elite clubs have at the moment. Tottenham's backups are not good enough. Um, I think we'll probably see more evidence of that over the next two months without Mickey van der Ven and... Um, yeah, I, I would expect maybe, maybe it might be a loan arrival if they can't do the Lloyd Kelly deal. I'd expect a loan arrival to come in in January. And Pete, talking of Trevor Chalaber, you announced exclusively on Monday on Football Insider that he's definitely going to leave. If he doesn't go in January, are you are you pretty much sure that he's in summer? He's he's going to be moving on from Chelsea. Yeah, I think the writing's on the wall for Trevor Shalaba. He's, he's come through the ranks at Chelsea as well, and I think he's performed quite well uh, when he has been used, but uh, it's obvious that Mauricio Pochettino doesn't fancy him. He's not going to have a, a look in there. They were willing to let him go in the summer transfer window, but the, the move just fell down at the 11th hour. So that situation hasn't changed. Chelsea would be open to letting him leave in January, um, and the player himself, I think, has realised that the time is now ready to move on from Stamford Bridge and uh, kickstart his career again. And I think he'll have a lot of options. Bayern Munich still admirers of him as well. Um, and I've taught them, I think, if they do firm up their interest, he'd have no problem in making that switch from Stamford Bridge to Tottenham as well. So, yeah, I think I think all parties involved in the Trevor Shalabar Chelsea one do expect a, a transfer probably in this coming January transfer window. Uh, if it doesn't happen then, I think it's almost sure to happen in the summer when there's more time for clubs to do their business as well but I'd be very surprised if Trevor Shalop is still a Chelsea player come the end of the January transfer window to certainly want to keep eyes on then so as as um, Wayne actually mentioned of course Eric Dyer has been playing really well for Spurs since coming in after that injury now Pete you actually revealed that he might be making his way to Bavaria on Monday yeah a uh, bit of an interesting option maybe in uh, the January transfer window for Er. Eric Dyer, uh, again, had become a bit of a forgotten man at Tottenham this season due to the form of Romero and Mickey van der Ven, but he's got a he's coming into the final six months of his contract at uh, Tottenham as well, so he has emerged on the radar of Bayern Munich. They have been looking, they did look at him in the summer as a possibility as they were looking for a centre-back and uh, a defensive midfielder, a role that Eric Dyer can play. He's, he's done it for England, he's played in defensive midfield as well and obviously we know he can play both roles for Tottenham so he's somebody who's on their list um, they will be looking to maybe bring in two players for those roles in the January transfer window as well and I don't think Bayern Munich right now are flush with money which maybe seems a silly thing to say considering it's such a rich club they are but they've spent heavily on Harry Kane in the summer transfer window Thomas Tuchel's had a few issues with the Bayern hierarchy over transfer budget as well so Eric Dyer with just six months left in his contract uh, could be somebody who could be a feasible target for the German giants. And uh, it's a move that I'm sure that Eric Dyer would jump at as well. And also having his old mate, Harry Kane, there, I'm sure that won't do his chances any harm either. I'm sure if Baron want to have a recommendation, I'm sure Harry Kane will give uh, Eric Dyer a good one. But, I mean, just from a sort of neutral perspective, um, a lot of football fans are and would be very surprised by that, Pete, wouldn't they? I mean, Bayern Munich are one of the great clubs in in the world um probably the top top three or four they are they've started the season um well they've certainly come into some brilliant form of late um and and dyer is 
third, fourth choice centre back at Tottenham. I mean, it, it would be a shock, wouldn't it, to, for him to go from Tottenham third, fourth choice to a stronger, stronger club and a stronger team. Oh, definitely come as a shock, but um, this is what the transfer window is all about. We do mm. see lots of shocks as well. He's got the experience as well, right, Dar? He's played at World Cups for England. He's played in the Champions League for Tottenham as well. So it's not like he's a, a complete novice or somebody that you've never heard of that Bayern Munich are in for. Um, if he can get back to that form that he showed uh, when he was playing for England under the Gareth Southgate, he, he could be a really astute signing for anybody. I'm sure it won't just be Bayern Munich. We're looking at our, Eric Dar uh, in this January transfer window due to his contract situation there's been talk that Roma uh, and his former boss Jose Mourinho could also be interested in Eric Dyer as well but I think to get a player of Dyer's caliber maybe on a cut price fee due to his contract situation uh, I think it'd be an attractive proposition for a lot of clubs in January and as I said with Bayern in the market for those two positions uh, he could tick the boxes for both of them and Pete you mentioned in there a cut price what sort of valuation might Spurs be looking at for the defender Yeah, well, it's obviously a decision for Tottenham to make. A lot will depend on whether they bring another centre-back in because they won't want to let Eric Dyer leave if they haven't brought in a replacement. So they've, they've got to weigh that up as well. They'll be hoping that Mickey van de Ven can make a speedy recovery as well um, and that will give them more options at centre-half. Um, six months left in his contract due to his age as well. You're probably looking around maybe 15 to £20 million mark for Eric Dyer um, and also the player himself. Um, it has been suggested would be happy to see out his contract and potentially leave on a free transfer so that would leave Tottenham out of pocket big time so they wouldn't be able to command uh, maybe a bigger fee for Eric Dyer if the player does suggest that he's not going to sign a new contract he's happy to sit and wait and uh, have the have his pick of choices uh, come summer on a free transfer so yeah it's a, a lot to weigh up for Tottenham really when it does come around to Eric Dyer's uh, future if, if Daniel Levy gets 20 million for Eric Dyer. He will earn every single penny of that three million a year salary um, plus whatever bonus he gets because with six months left in his contract, nearly 30 years old, that would be a sensational deal for Tottenham. Wayne, moving from North London to West London, sounds like a certain club are going to be smashing their record transfer in January, potentially Fulham. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Pete, Pete broke the story on Football Insider oh. the other day um, that Fulham are going to spend. Um, very big in January, potentially could smash their smash their record, um, transfer record, and could could spend forty million plus on the strike, which would be most of the Mitrovic money. Um, but I think Pete is Pete is the man to give you all the details on that one. Okay, Pete, go on, you fill us in then. Yeah, yeah. Um, from my understanding is that uh, Fulham are ready to back Marco Silva in the transfer market in January. Obviously, losing Mitrovic so late in the window did come as a massive blow to Fulham but the player was uh, obviously putting his feet down he wanted that move and he was almost uh, forced uh, Fulham into accepting that offer from the Saudi Pro League so they have got money from that sale to reinvest in January and it's been pretty evident from watching Fulham this season um, struggling for goals up front uh, I don't think Marco Silva is a huge fan of uh, Carlos Vinicius while Raul Jimenez although he got uh, off the mark uh, last weekend against Sastabella just hasn't hit the heights that we saw uh, at Wolves as well and he has really struggled for form uh, in the last 18 months as well so yeah I think it's a priority for Fulham to bring in that new striker and they know if you want to sign a top striker in January you're going to have to pay a top dollar for him as well because those selling clubs won't really want to lose uh, a goal scorer uh, in the January transfer window either so I think Fulham right now they need that player to ensure that he can come into the team and uh, add goals to Silver side because 
they don't want to find themselves involved in a relegation dogfight. And if things continue the way they are, that's where they could find themselves in, in that relegation battle. And obviously, Fulham are ready to back Marco Silva because he's uh, pledged his future to them. Recently, he turned down big offers from the Saudi Pro League to sign his new contract as well. So it's, it's a bit of reward for his loyalty that uh, Fulham are ready to loosen the transfer kitty and they're ready to let him uh, spend a bit of money in January as well. Strike is a top priority, but also other areas of the team they'll be looking at, possibly a centre-back as well, especially if Tosin is to leave. And also lots of uh, doubts uh, surrounding the long-term future of Jao Polinia. So if he goes, they will be looking to bring in a defensive midfielder as well. And if Polinia does leave to uh, Bayern Munich, uh, that lad to the transfer kitty as well, because there'll be a huge fee for his services as well. So yeah, I'm expecting a, a busy transfer window down at Craven Cottage. I just wanted to, to ask you, Pete, because um, obviously Palina just signed this new contract shortly after the window shut. I mean, is there a release clause in that contract? Well, Fulham are adamant that there is no release clause in there. Maybe there's a gentleman's agreement that if uh, Bayern Munich or somebody else does come in from and they do hit uh, an agreed fee that they, they won't stand in his way as well. Soundings coming out of uh, Fulham do suggest that they do fear that the Portuguese midfielder could leave in January as well but I'm sure that's they quite dangerous a hefty a, price tag for him mm, that's quite dangerous though isn't it from a player's point of view if you're relying on a gentleman's agreement rather than a kind of contractual clause that is inarguable in any sort of um legal forum so you know it's relying on a gentleman's agreement that's is, is he not kind of taking a bit of a risk with his career even if he has got a massive pay rise out out of the new contract yeah it's obviously it's a risk um he thought probably he was going to be a Bayern Munich player come uh, last summer but the deal just fell mm. through at the last minute uh, when Fulham couldn't find a replacement um obviously they give him a new contract off the back of that as well but I think that was always the plan uh, just even before Bayern Munich made that big play for Jal Pellini that they were going to give him a new contract as well so they stuck to the word and, and done that as well money talks as we all know and I'm sure Fulham don't want to have a a similar situation where they found themselves with Alex uh, Zander Ministrovic, who almost went on strike to try and force that mm -hmm. into the Saudi Pro League. They won't want that to happen with Joao Polinia either, as well. So, yeah, I think if an offer does come in, I think Fulham would reluctantly maybe agree to let him move on, and uh, as long as they make a big profit on him and, and it allows them to go out there and buy a, a ready-made replacement. And Pete, to excite any Fulham fans that are listening, are there any names you could give us potentially they're looking at, at that striker role to really fill the void that Mitrovic left? Yeah, obviously, um, it's tough to find uh, strikers, especially in January. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's hard to prize them away from their clubs uh, due to the, them doing well. Uh, Santiago Jimenez at Feyenoord is one player that they have looked at, but again, it won't be a straightforward one for uh, Fulham as well. He, he's playing well for Feyenoord in the Champions League right now. They they could progress to the group stages, and so they won't want to lose him as well. But there is other Premier League clubs and foreign clubs who are interested in the Feyenoord hitman as well. But I think for Fulham right now, they just need to get somebody in because the strikers they've got in right now aren't up to it for me. And I think could really be the difference between them staying up or being involved in a relegation battle if they can go out there and find a striker who can add goals to the side. Because I think the rest of the squad is good enough and I think is more than good enough to stay in the Premier League but if you don't score goals you're going to find yourselves in trouble and I think that's what Fulham are looking at right now trying to get in that goal scorer to sort of supplement the squad because Mitrovic's uh, boots are big boots to fill and they haven't been filled yet. 
I mean, only 10 goals scored this season across the side. They definitely need to start firing in goals, especially if they want to stay up, like you've mentioned. Pete, if we move from West London to, to Merseyside, it sounds like actually another club might be interested in signing Lloyd Kelly. Yeah, um, again, Lloyd Kelly is going to be a man in demand due to his contract situation in uh, the summer, I think. Uh, but I think for the one that we're talking about is Liverpool are also interested in Lloyd Kelly. They are ready to rival the likes of Tottenham and AC Milan for the centre-back as well. We know Liverpool were interested in signing a left-sided centre-back in the summer transfer window, but they weren't able to get a deal done. Um, a lot of their focus was on reshaping that midfield, so they maybe put a new defender on the back burner. But Lloyd Kelly is somebody that Liverpool admire. Um, they have been keeping tabs on him for quite a while now. And the thing for Lloyd Kelly is he can play left-side centre-back, but he could also play left-back as well. And that's an area of the squad that maybe Liverpool are slightly weak at uh, now due to Andy Robertson's injury. You can see Simicass, uh, there's a few doubts whether he can uh, fit that role for Liverpool as well. But yeah, I think Lloyd Kelly, I think he's a, a good young English player. I think if he moves to a, a bigger club than Bournemouth, we'll probably see Lloyd Kelly improve as well. And he'll be a player who's probably thinking if I move to a top six club, I could maybe be pushing for a, a place in Gareth Southgate's squad long-term as well. So I think uh, Liverpool and Tottenham, both in that market for that centre half and I think Lloyd Kelly due to his contract situation is somebody who's going to be of high interest to both clubs they're hoping they could maybe prize him away for a cup price fee and you look at Liverpool as well they've got a 33 year old Van Dyke um, who's you know he's been, been actually excellent in the last couple of months but he, his form had tailed off before that for that period and he will need replacing down the line won't he and um, you know, left-sided centre-backs. Um, Gavardio obviously joined Man City, so Liverpool interested in him as well. Um, I'm not saying Lloyd Kelly is going to be the next Van Dijk, but he was he's a similar age to when Van Dijk joined Liverpool, isn't he? 26, I believe. He's a leader um, and can play two roles. And I think what the sort of elite managers are looking for now is that versatility, isn't it, across the back. Someone who can play centre-back can also move across and play full-back, especially you see, see the way Liverpool's team's evolving and the way that they're playing with Alexander-Arnold in a hybrid role. Lloyd Kelly would kind of fit one or two positions in, in that Liverpool back line, as well as providing um, an alternative to Van Dijk as well, who hasn't played any of the midweek games this season either. So, you know, he's very much been saved for the Premier League matches. And, um, and I think Liverpool fans are very, very nervous about Simicast facing Foden or Doku, aren't they, in, in, in the Man City match after international break. So, Wayne, do you potentially see then going forward, say, in three years' time, would you say that the centre-back partnership for Liverpool might look like a Canate and Lloyd Kelly partnership? Is that how you see that progressing, potentially? Um, well, I'm not 100% convinced on Canate. Um, I think he's definitely um, Liverpool level, and I think he is a, a top-quality player, but his injury record's really poor. His availability record's really poor. Um, constantly pulling out with pulling out of matches with injuries shortly beforehand. Um, I mean, I think Sunday's match was... Um, I mean, that wasn't even mentioned, was it, in the, in the pre-match press conference? That happens a lot with Canate. You compare to someone like... Salah, who's playing an even more um, demanding role higher up the pitch. How many games has Salah missed in, in seven years? Um, I mean, Canate, at his age, I don't think should be missing anywhere near the games he's missing. And um, that was an issue um, when he was at Leip Leipzig as well. So um, I, I wouldn't be convinced he'd be Liverpool's a regular at Liverpool in three years, to be honest. Um, I think that's completely up for grabs. And, and 
even Matip and Gomez had been picked ahead of him at various times this season as well when he was available. So um, I think he's still got to do more to convince Klopp that he's um, an absolute nailed-on starter. And I think that whole Liverpool backline with the Arnold's role changing, I think it's it's up in the air. Um, you know, Van Dijk can't possibly be ruling the roost in three years' time, can he? I think that's it's very, very unrealistic. You don't see many 36-year-olds um, playing every match for an elite club in the Premier League. So Liverpool do need to start evolving that part of the team. They've evolved their midfield and done a pretty good job without actually managing to sign number six. So they've got about 27 number eights, but no number sixes in that squad. But um, yeah, I'd definitely expect Fender to come in um, probably two in 2024 and two for the first team um, with Matip probably likely to go as well. 27 number eights. That is an accurate description, I would say. If we move from uh, from Merseyside, Pete, down to down to North London, talk about Arsenal. Sounds like Aaron Ramsdale's future actually might be in doubt. Is there, Have you got any news for us to tell us about his future at the club? Yeah, obviously Ramsdale not very happy at losing his uh, starting spot to David Rea. That's uh, or, or pretty his dad as well. Either. Not helped by the fact. Or his dad as well. I don't think that's done him any favors either with his dad uh, <laughs> doing that podcast and uh, admitting that he. Uh, Aaron had lost his smile and wasn't overly enamoured with things going on at the Emirates right now as well. So, yeah, it's a difficult situation uh, for me. Just looking at that, you've got a feel for Aaron Ramsey as well. I don't think he'd done much wrong for Arsenal last season as well to lose his place. But that's uh, when you're playing for an elite club, you can have competition for your place. And Arsenal have gone out there and done a deal for David Rea, which they think improves their team as well. I don't see a move happening in January. I just uh, I don't see many landing spots for Aaron Ramsdale as well. But I think come the summer, if the situation is as it is now and he's uh, playing second choice to David Rea, I'm sure the player himself will uh, be thinking of pushing for a move uh, to sort of kickstart his career as well because he won't want to be uh, not playing regular first-team football. And it's it's going to affect his England chance chances going forward as well um, because Aaron Ramsdale for me when he was playing for Arsenal last season was probably the best thing his goalkeeper in the Premier League so he'll want to get back to that as well and I don't think Arsenal would consider letting him go uh, in the January transfer window as well so I think although he's unhappy and uh, his dad has admitted that he's unhappy as well he's going to have to get his head down hope that he can maybe get a chance back on that side as well but I think for January a deal a move uh, away from Arsenal does look unlikely but I think Somewhere there's more more possibility that a move could happen, and I'm sure a number of clubs will be interested in Aaron Ramsdale. Chelsea, I'm sure, would be one who would be maybe knocking at the door because I still think they're in the market for a number one goalkeeper as well. But a deal between Arsenal and Chelsea again has its own complications. Yeah, I mean, as Wayne was speaking, actually, I laughed with the uh, with the podcast that Ramsdale did with Ian Wright when he said that he doesn't focus in goal, and it was the freeze frame of Ian Wright's face reacting to it. Was just, I mean, it was literally prices. It was absolutely. You, you, you know, if there was a speech bubble above um, Ian Wright's head, it would have said, "And that's why you're not in the Arsenal starting eleven at the moment, Aaron." But um, yeah, it's I think his face told told a thousand words, really, didn't it? Um, I mean, one thing sort of about Ramsdale's father going on and sort of very sort of um, passionately defending his son. And that opens up complications, obviously, on the Arsenal training ground. He's been very critical of Arsenal's communication, hasn't he? He's basically said they haven't spoken to his to Ramsdale and explained why he's not in the side or said, we you know, what the actual situation is. Um, and, um, I mean, that, you do hear that a lot, don't you, at elite clubs where managers don't actually explain 
things or spell things out to the player. It almost sounds kind of Rafa Benitez, doesn't it, from Mikel Arteta? He's just kind of giving him the cold shoulder and telling him to kind of, or sort of not telling him to just um, improve his game and train hard. But um, I think that's going to sort of almost hover in the background for the rest of the season. Assuming Ray doesn't get injured, that's that issue is not going to go away. And, um, you know, you've got, you've got Ramsdale being very open. You can see where he gets his, um, his sort of honesty and his directness and his forthrightness come can't, from, can't you? I mean, it's pretty obvious because he's um, his, the way his father speaks. Um, and I think it's an issue that's going, it's not going away for Arsenal. Um, it, was a, it was a brave move to, to sign a goalkeeper of a similar level. I mean, my personal opinion is, by the way, Ray is better, but, you know, some Arsenal fans don't agree with that. They think that Ramsdale's better, but I think Ray is better with his feet and um, I think he can concentrate better, but um, it's, it's going to be a big issue for Arteta to manage um, with, without a shadow of a doubt and it, it could create a lot of complications behind the scenes. And Pete, surely if he stays at Arsenal following January and then potentially leaves in the summer, that I, I'm, I'm sure we'd agree then that Pickford is going to be the number one goalkeeper going into the Euros. There can't be any questions about that, right? No, I think Jordan Pickford's never let England down. He's always performed to a high level for Gareth Southgate's side. He's always had, had his detractors in the Premier League over the years with some high-profile mistakes as well. But he's a regular in the Everton team. He's a leader as well, I think, in that England squad now. He's such a, an established player. Uh, member of Gareth Southgate's squad as well. So, yeah, I think right now, bar an injury, Jordan Pickford will be lining up for England at the Euros and uh, will continue to be England's number one for the foreseeable future. And, Pete, if we actually go and focus on Leeds and we talk about their young prospect, Archie Gray, have you got any news you can update us on on his future? Because there's been lots of rumours going around about him potentially leaving. Yeah, obviously, no surprise that Archie Gray is attracting interest from... uh, some of the biggest clubs uh, in the Premier League and also in Europe as well. He's done really well for Leeds. He's been talked about for a while, obviously due to his heritage of uh, being a grey and the Leeds dynasty there as well. But yeah, he's done well for Leeds this year. Daniel Farke has given him his chance uh, in the starting eleven, and he's repaid it with some really impressive and mature performances, uh, showing his versatility as well. Now in recent weeks, he's uh, slotted in at right back and has done that role pretty uh, impressively as well. So, yeah, all these big Premier League clubs now looking at uh, Archie Gray as well. Liverpool have been mentioned. We've also got the likes of Newcastle, uh, Everton, uh, others all looking at Borussia Dortmund in Germany have been mentioned. We know their track record in signing some of the best uh, young English talent over the years as well. But, yeah, he's, he's got just over 18 months left on his contract at Leeds. I'm sure Leeds right now are sitting down discussing with Archie Gray and his... Uh, representatives over a new contract just to reward him for his breakthrough seasons so far he's become a, an established member of the first team as well so i'm sure leeds are well aware of the outside noise uh, gathering around archie gray as well i don't think they'll be surprised by it either but i'm sure they're they're pretty confident and content uh, at how things are right now and they're confident that archie gray will remain at leeds so i don't see leeds a leeds team trying to win promotion back to the premier league would even consider cashing in on archie gray in january or come the summer either Sure. And Wayne, what sort of valuation would you put on not only a homegrown player, but a player that loves the club and has connection? If Leeds were going to sell him at 17, you know, he's an established member in their team. What sort of value would they be looking at potentially getting getting for him? Um, well, I'm going to put the same valuation that, that Pete did in his story on Monday. And I have to say, and because Pete won't say this himself, that Pete is very, very well connected at Leeds. And 
um, has broken many, many, many lead stories for us in recent years. Um, Pete was saying 30 to 40 million, which um, does sound an extraordinary number given that he's just 17. He's, you know, just got um, less than, I think, 21st team appearances. But, you know, that is that is the current market and sort of reflective of the, the potential of the player as well. I mean, if you look at Calvin Phillips was a lead product, um, he, he was he was sold to Man City at 45 million, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, inc- including add-ons. But he and he had played 250 first team games at that point. But he took quite a while to reach that level. Phillips did. You know, he he didn't really explode until Bielsa took over as manager. Um, he'd been kind of hit a bit hit and miss until that point. Whereas Archie Gray looks like um, you know, the a potential superstar, doesn't he, in the in in the making. Um, so I think he would be treated or seen by Leeds as slightly different. And um I can absolutely guarantee that Pete will have all the twists and turns on his situation over the next months and years. There's no doubt about that. To certainly keep your eyes peeled here at Football Insider to get all the latest news and gossip. Pete, to wrap it all up, if we go and talk about Manchester United as revealed this week, it looks like potentially Jadon Sancho's time at the club could finally be up. Yeah, I think uh, this one's almost a certainty to happen in January that Jadon Sancho will leave Manchester United. Uh, as well publicised fallout with Ericsson Hag. There's been no sign of any... Olive Branch being offered by either Ten Hag or Jadon Sancho, so they're both sticking to their guns in this one. And uh, with her, Ten Hag looking likely will remain in charge of Manchester United. I don't see any way back for Jadon Sancho unless he does uh, finally apologise for his outburst against his manager as well. There'll be no shortage of tickets for Jadon Sancho. Um, Juventus and Italy are interested in the England international, potentially on a loan deal. Um, I'm sure there'll be interest from the Saudi Pro League as well. There was interest from some Saudi Pro League clubs just before the close of their window, just after the incident uh, when he was left out against Arsenal as well. So I'm sure they'll be also monitoring the situation. It's It's been an untimely affair for Manchester United, this whole Sancho thing. It's could have been avoided, um, but it's obviously escalated now. And I think there's no way back for Jadon Sancho while Ayrton Hag is still in charge at Old Trafford. So I think for all parties involved, it's probably best that they move on and uh, the big decision will be whether it's a loan deal or a permanent deal because United were demanding big money for Sancho to leave uh, if he was to go to the Saudi Pro League, which he wasn't too keen on. So, yeah, maybe a loan deal could be the most feasible move here for Jadon Sancho. And for him himself, he just needs to get back to playing football before he, he does become a forgotten man himself because um, he was uh, in the in the mix for the England squad as well. But if the situation continues like it is at Old Trafford right now as well, he's not going to have any chance of uh, making a late push for the Euros with England. I mean, I have to say it's been abysmally handed, handled by Eric Ten Hag um, as as many of the sort of um, softer man management issues have with the, with the Man United players. I think he he has really struggled with with that side of um, of management, certainly at a bigger club than 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 Ajax. Ajax is obviously a huge club in, the, in their own right. Man United is a different level. Um, huge, huge egos in that dressing room. Huge name players. Um, I mean, he got a lot of credit for how he handled the Ronaldo situation and, and rightly so, in a way. Um, but Sanchez is a very different type player, a young player um, who they spent more than 70 million on. And, you know, his value has halved as a result of the way he's been handled by the manager. And I think, um, you know, this sort of 
public spat, Instagram messages, oh, and not apologising. Who's going to apologise first? I mean, it's embarrassing for Man United. Um, it's, you know, j- journalists like Pete have done a brilliant job of being on being on top of it and kind of getting getting the inside track. But from a Man United point of view, if you're um, elite player who you know you spend one seventy million on is is not playing Fraser out and his values um, diminishing by the day. Um, that's not good management in my book. Ronaldo was a different player. He was always going to go on a free transfer. Even you know that was completely different. This is this is a, a big asset, a huge asset to the club, and um, it's not been well handled. And Wayne, do you think the fans have a right to be annoyed with how this whole saga has kind of unfolded and now it looks he's got he's, he has to leave the club? Do you think actually fans should be irritated by it, given the prospect of Jaden Sancho as a winger? Or unfortunately, is this just a scenario in football that has happened? Um, I think they should be because because of the the money the club spent, because of how far they went to get him in the first place. I mean, he was um, on the radar of so many top clubs. You know, there was such a battle to sign him. um, And, you know, Dortmund didn't want to sell him and were very, you know, did very well to get so much money for him. Personally, I don't think he is quite a superstar level, but still he should be good enough to get, uh, to be a big asset for many Premier League clubs. I think United fans should be annoyed. They, They want to see the team play great football. They want to see great attacking players and Sancho should be one of them. He has the capability to one of them. The United's football has been forgettable this season. Their top scorers are defenders and midfielders. Um, none of their forwards are scoring. None of their forwards are firing. Manager can't can't get the best out of them and they're kind of just about getting over the line against the, against the weaker teams. Only just. Um, so, yeah, Absolutely, they should be annoyed. They should be annoyed about Hanson. He's been handled. Our Green has been handled, and um, yeah, and, and and quite a few others because um, you know it's it's not good management at all. And Pete, to wrap it all up for us, can you potentially give us some names? If Jaden Sancho is to go, are United looking at any wingers or any forwards to potentially replace the England international? Um, it's not a priority for Manchester United right now to, to bring in that attacking player. They are looking maybe central midfield and defensively, maybe a fullback to bring in. I think there are Ten Hag's two top priorities. Things could change, though, if Sancho was to go. There was talk that Anthony could go as well, but I don't think Ten Hag would uh, allow that to happen uh, in the January transfer as well. Uh, Anthony Martial is also another player who's been talked about leaving Old Trafford, another player who's failed to live up to hype and expectations at Manchester United quite like uh, a number of their signings over recent years as well. So, been a few expensive mistakes for Manchester United. Uh, Sancho's been another one for, obviously, various reasons uh, due to his spat with Eric Ten Hag as well. But I think for Manchester United, ideally, they would like to bring in a new striker because Rasmus Hoyland, although he's done well in the Champions League, has yet to score in the Premier League as well. They really do need to add more goals to the side as well. Marks Rashford's having a real confidence uh, drop uh, in front of goal as well. We're not seeing the best of Marcus Rashford, so it's putting a lot of uh, extra pressure on the likes of Bruno Fernandes and others to, to pop up with goals as well. So I think United, I think it's an area that the team they'll probably look at in the summer um, to bring in maybe uh, another marquee number nine signing, somebody who can score their goals uh, to sort of help them get back up there and challenge with the, the other top sides in the Premier League. It seems to be that whichever player I bring in at Manchester United on fantasy football stops scoring or stops getting points, which is just utterly disappointing. That wraps up inside the inside track very nicely. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and all your insights today. It's really appreciated. I'm sure everyone listening too feels exactly the same. 
Wasn't that just absolutely excellent? So much gossip, so much exclusive news as the clock ticks closer to the opening of the January transfer window, just 45 days away now. Thanks very much to both Wayne and Pete for their expert analysis and detail on all the stories across so many clubs. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media wherever you can. And any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give it a like and a comment. I'm Lewis Piers, and we'll speak to you all on the next show.